Hello, and welcome to Teen Scientist. I'm your host, Raina Malhotra, and doing our audio engineering tonight is James Ziprote. Here on the show, I bring you stories of groundbreaking innovation in the STEM disciplines entirely from a youth perspective. We feature young researchers and respected experts in their fields at the local, regional, and international levels. I'm very excited about tonight's guest who's joining us all the way from Lebanon. Welcome, Adam. How are you? Hi, Ryan. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So before we dive in, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Okay, sure. So I'm based in Lebanon, and I'm a student, a senior year student at International College of Beirut. I used to study at a refugee camp, and I received the academic scholarship at this school. And this is probably the catalyst that provided me with motivation to start all of the initiatives that I have and to conduct the research that I've done. And can you tell us a little bit about your research interests in general as a young scientist? Have you had one specific focus or do you have varying interests? So as part of my secondary school education, my research interests started in math and physics. In math, I was exploring Riemann summation and the Fibonacci sequence and different theoretical proofs. And later on, I decided to narrow down my scope of interests for physics. So I was conducting virtual research in particle physics. And then I decided to narrow down my scope of research in thermal physics. And I started to conduct research locally at the American University of Beirut with thermal physicist Dr. Michel Kazan. Thermal physics, I believe, is one of the most promising areas of research in physics. And that's why I have conducted research in it, and I look forward in the future to conduct more research in it. Okay, perfect. And now before we actually dive into your most recent project, I want to ask you if you have any specific memory or experience from when you were a lot younger, before you were even in high school, of how you got involved into science. What kind of sparked your interest from a young age that led you into this kind of career path? At my old school, we used to like have these kind of science fairs, which were they were very intimate, but at the same time, they were very intellectually growing. And I believe that these experiences, bonding with my friends, and at the same time, learning about the sciences, ranging from physics to mathematics, this particular experience ignited my interest in research, which is probably the reason why I started conducting research in these different areas. And can you now give us a bit of a brief overview of your most recent project that you, I think you touched on it before, the thermal conductivity of binary semiconductors. Can you tell us a little bit about what this was all about and how you got into it? Right. So my interdisciplinary research in thermal physics and material engineering, it develops a new steady state optothermal technique in order to measure the thermal conductivity kappa of silicon carbide, which is a binary semiconductor. And I got this research experience basically through a local summer research program called the Summer Research Experience and Physics Program, which is conducted annually by the American University of Beirut. So after acceptance, I was assigned with Dr. Michel Kazan, who is a thermal physicist, a PhD thermal physicist. And we started our research journey together, whereby I would conduct independent research, and he would guide me throughout the process. Okay, what motivated you to choose infrared spectroscopy as the method for measuring thermal conductivity in binary semiconductors? Are there specific advantages or unique features that led you to this choice? 
Yeah, so when I was conducting my independent research, I learned about something called light matter interaction, which is basically when electronic properties of materials are influenced as the material itself interacts with electromagnetic radiation. And this electromagnetic incident, electromagnetic radiation can vary from photoluminescence to gamma rays to infrared spectroscopy. But the reason why I specifically chose infrared beams to be shine, shown upon the silicon carbide is due to a specific relation between the electrons, the valence electrons of silicon carbide and infrared, because this incident beam would actually create an excitation state for the material and lead to resonance, which allows a theoretical and empirical calculation of the thermal conductivity of the material. And can you explain the significance of measuring thermal conductivity in binary semiconductors and how it can contribute to broader fields of research? So the local temperature variation, which is part of the experiment for thermal conductivity, is monitored using the infrared spectrum. And this spectrum depends on temperature, and it's determined by the resonance frequency of the optical phonon. So in other words, the infrared spectrum, it's allowing the investigation of the relationship between the wave number and temperature at the resonance point of the optical phonon, where there's maximum reflectivity due to the transverse oscillation of the optical phonon. And in the second experiment that's part of the research, the infrared spectrum, it's being used as a thermometer to read the local temperature variation due to the input power into silicon carbide. And the sample holder needed to collect the infrared spectra from selective localized regions of the sample are built into in the machine shop. And it is used to correlate wave number and power. And finally, the obtained wave number power and wave number temperature regressions are processed empirically by applying Fourier's law to determine thermal conductivity of silicon carbide. And so throughout this entire process, were there any challenges or setbacks that you encountered during the experimental setup or data collection process, particularly when applying infrared spectroscopy to determine thermal conductivity? And how did you kind of work around those setbacks? So initially, while I was trying to measure the different reflectivity spectra of the material, I noticed that I had to use MATLAB, which is a software that converts data that's collected from the infrared spectrum using the Fourier transform infrared spectroscopy and employed through the calculation, but I had minimal knowledge in the MATLAB software. And also some of the trials were not giving results as expected. So I had to like circumnavigate around this particular challenge. And to do that, I reconducted the experiment not only twice, but three times in order to understand the reason behind this deviation in values. And I realized that the values themselves were offset from the expected results because the spectra had to be subtracted from each other in order to obtain a new spectrum that should be used to calculate the thermal conductivity of the material. And you mentioned using MATLAB. Was that something that you had to teach yourself how to do or have you learned it in school? How did you include that into your research and and learn it? Yeah, so this was definitely not something that I learned in high school, and I had to teach myself how to use MATLAB on my own. And this was a very useful resource in order to perform my two experiments. 
And how did you go about self-teaching yourself a programming language like that? Because it can be challenging for a lot of people, but I'm sure it's something that a lot of people want to do. So what was kind of your strategy or approach to kind of completely learning a new language with no external help? So at the beginning, I was tinkering with the software itself by watching some YouTube videos and trying to have an understanding of how the language works because I had zero knowledge of coding. And honestly, it seemed a bit foreign for me. But then I like enrolled on a Coursera platform, which offers some prerequisites for MATLAB. And then when I felt like I was becoming more comfortable with the language, I decided to advance onto a new level for MATLAB, which also helped me perform my experiment. But also note that there was like a certain constraint with that because I didn't have much time in order to learn the language and conduct my experiment simultaneously. So I had to balance between these two different activities and like find a certain kind of equilibrium between learning MATLAB and employing what I learned from this language in order to conduct the research that I did. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a bit of a challenge trying to balance everything that you're involved in. How would you say you went about that? How did you manage your time and ensure that you had kind of a schedule for yourself to manage learning MATLAB and also conducting your research? I had like a very rigorous and detailed schedule that helped me organize learning MATLAB at night. And then in the following day, I would start conducting my research and amassing my data. And then once I had all my data ready in like two to three weeks, I had already finished learning what was required from MATLAB. So I had all the technical skills that were required in order to process the data that was collected to calculate thermal conductivity experimentally. And then in terms of your actual research and results, how would you say you think you can have practical applications or implications for industries or technologies that rely on binary semiconductors and how might your findings be applied in real world scenarios? A lot of engineering systems actually incorporate binary semiconductors and they have a lot of real life applications such as developing efficient heat sinks that are present on the nanoscale in some phones and some laptops like the transistors that are present in laptops, they emit a lot of heat due to the Joule's effect. So this heat sink must be present in order to regulate the temperature. And this is provided by material choice, which relies on the thermal conductivity of materials, which is why using binary semiconductors of a specific thermal conductivity, such as that of silicon carbide, provides a promising area of study and it provides a quite solid real-life application for it. And now looking ahead, what are the potential future directions for this specific field of research? Were there any areas or kind of topics within your work that you didn't think you had the time or ability to cover yet that you would hope to investigate in the future? Sure. So for materials at the nanoscale, there's not only thermal conductivity, which is a property that governs it, but there's also permeability and susceptibility and there's an intimate relationship between all of these different parameters but due to time constraints and other different factors i wasn't able to explore all of them in my research and these values also provide quite a lot of data on materials and these results have a lot of implications for real life applications 
So I believe current research is going in a direction that studies these different parameters together in order to analyze the different microscopic implications of these microscopic data, which is why I'm excited in the future to conduct further research in these specific areas. Well, that sounds great. And I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing more coming from you in this field. Now, as much as I hate to stop us, we do need to pause for a short break. But when we return, Adam will discuss some of his involvements outside the lab and his research and share some advice to our young listeners. This is Raina Malhotra, and you're listening to Teen Scientist. On the Media tackles sticky issues with a frankness and transparency that has built trust while maintaining the civility and fairness that are the hallmarks of public radio. Host Brooke Gladstone and guests cover politics, science, social media, entertainment, and all aspects of the media world in depth. On the Media investigative reporting can help you sort through the news of the day. Listen Tuesday at 6 p.m. following All Things Considered on 88.1 WDIY, streaming or on the WDIY app. Welcome back to Teen Scientist. I'm your host, Raina Malhotra, and joining us is a young scientist all the way from Lebanon, Adam Musa. We just finished discussing his research on thermal conductivity of binary semiconductors, and now I kind of want to transition into his involvements beyond this research. So, Adam, starting with the New York Academy of Sciences, Adam, can you just elaborate on your involvement in the Junior Academy and how your team has worked to address environmental problems and then maybe also touch on how the Junior Academy has acted as a stepping stone for you for other involvements outside your past research projects. So as part of the New York Academy of Sciences, there was a specific project called Green Communities, Green Societies. And this targeted basically designing innovations for classrooms in order to create a conducive learning environment on the basis of sustainability and the UN SDGs because some current ways of pursuing education rely on some unsustainable methods, such as providing electricity is based on burning fossil fuel, which is quite expensive and polluting to the environment. So within your Academy of Sciences, my international team and I were thinking of specific design that we can create in order to address this specific problem of electricity shortage in Lebanon and perhaps in other countries. And the environmental aspect, which it, which is associated with it, which includes preserving the environment by decreasing the carbon footprint, which has been the stepping stone for our project SolSpar, which involves creating a mechanical model that creates electricity by simply walking on it. So can you give us some more details on how that even works, like the physics and the science behind how you can just create electricity by walking? Walk us through that. Sure. So the model comprises of two tiles, an upper tile, which you step on, and the lower tile for support. And between the two tiles, there's like an arrangement of springs and sprockets and gears. And my team and I had to design a specific gearing ratio that was adequate for the model itself. And in order to like maximize the energy that's being harvested from the model, in order to generate more electricity. So what actually happens inside of the model is that the linear emotion that comes from walking on the tile or from stepping on it is converted to rotatory motion of the gears. And this rotatory motion later on will rotate a generator 
And from the rotation of the generator, electricity is going to be generated and it's stored later on in a battery. And because you have electricity stored in a battery, you can use it for any appliance. For our case, it was for small scale appliances like lighting systems or LED lamps or maybe fans in schools during the summer in case some schools don't have air conditioning. And have you actually created a working prototype of this or like how many kind of models or revisions have you made to get this to work? First, during the summer, we were 3D designing the model. So my team and I had to use SolidWorks, which is another 3D designing platform in order to like translate our theory into a reality because at the beginning, honestly, it was not an easy process. But later on, when we were able to like find the right design. We collaborated with the UN RWA Sibling Training Center, which is basically an institution that helps in synthesizing materials or mechanical systems such as these. And we collectively designed our model and we currently have two real models and they're implemented at two different locations in Lebanon. One location is a refugee camp and another location is a primary healthcare center. And so what inspired your focus to install these in schools located in refugee camps? Where did this kind of idea come from for you? Personally, this is th- this has a very personal undertone because as I mentioned in the beginning, I used to study in a refugee camp. So I, this specific project has a very personal appeal for, for me which is why I told my team members that we had to install this model at a refugee camp. Like no matter what it costed, it has to be installed there because I believe that a lot of students at the refugee camp are probably facing a lot of difficulties in learning because those were some of the difficulties that I personally experienced. So this model would create a conducive learning environment for them. Absolutely. And I admire that so much that you felt that you had to go back and make a positive impact on somewhere that you yourself had experienced. In terms of cost and funding, I can imagine how expensive something like this could be. Have you received any support or funding from outside organizations in terms of constructing and implementing this project? Yeah. So my team and I pitched our idea to different investors. Some were reluctant to invest because they didn't believe the project was promising. However, one specific institution, Alejandro Center for Leadership and Diversity and Civic Engagement, and they allocated $1,000 for our prototype. And my team and I had to conduct a cost-benefit analysis in order to look at the individual cost of the material and cost of transportation towards our beneficiaries. So basically we had to like organize our budget. And in the end, we ended up constructing two models by equally dividing our seed money into it. And now looking ahead, how do you see SoulSpark evolving over time? And what are your plans to scale or replicate the initiative in other locations or contexts? So in in the future, we plan on expanding in different geographical locations in Lebanon because the two models are currently implemented within the Beirut region. So we plan on expanding in different areas. And also we even plan on expanding in like different countries 
maybe starting in the MENA region and maybe later on on an international scale because of the impact that our project has had at the refugee camp and then the primary healthcare center. So we believe that this expansion would actually be a very promising one in the future. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do with with this project. I now want to circle back to something you mentioned earlier about your experience of living in a refugee camp. How would you say your time there influenced your perspective and your approach to education, specifically now that you're kind of in a more, I guess, privileged or, or better education system at a better local school? How would you say that compares and, and how do you think your perspective has changed? Yeah, so this is a very personal question, honestly, because I like kind of have flashbacks for this specific experience, which is probably shaping my entire life. Like, so honestly, learning at a refugee camp definitely had its own difficulties. And one of these learning difficulties included having minimal to no resources there. And this was a huge setback that kind of made my education experience there very difficult or nearly impossible. And I believe these specific setbacks actually provided me with a motivation in order to conduct the different experiences, the different projects that I've done, including the SoulSpark project, which I aimed to install it with my team members at a refugee camp, because giving back to my community is something that I find very valuable. And it's one of which is one of the primary goals that I have in order to provide a smooth learning experience for others so that they do not experience the same mishaps that I've had throughout my learning experience in a refugee camp. Well, that's amazing and also very admirable that you feel that way about your experiences. I now want to touch on your involvement in the Global Youth Ambassadors Program. Can you just talk about how you got involved in this, how it's impacted your work, and how this kind of furthers your connection and passion to STEM? So as a Global Youth Ambassador, I have a global network of, I have a global network with different Global Youth Ambassadors who are also mobilized like me to end the education crisis globally because not all people have a quality education. So my projects that are offered through the Global Youth Ambassadors are very STEM oriented. And by collaborating with different Global Youth Ambassadors, I was able to start the STEM for Them initiative, which basically provides solid math and physics classes for students in refugee camps and other underprivileged areas. And these lessons were inspired from the International Baccalaureate Program. So not only does our project provide quality education, but it also amplifies the voices of the people who are taking these courses because they're becoming aware of the, the their own situation and they're like, fostering a global mindset, which underlies the ethos of the International Baccalaureate Program. And I believe that this specific initiative will also help them become agents of change themselves in the future. And I really hope that one that, that someday they themselves become global youth ambassadors and conduct similar projects in order to better their community as well. 
Well, that's amazing. And now looking forward in terms of your future, what are your aspirations and goals? Where do you see yourself in 10 or 20 years and how do you plan to get there? I see myself conducting more projects in different areas, perhaps more advanced projects, either in the environmental sector, which involves sustainability and reducing pollution specific for education and also maybe my career path in 10 years would be more inclined towards the educational sector where i believe that this specific career path would be very promising in terms of finding new solutions for the education crisis and um, achieving the un sdgs which are very important for students as a whole Amazing. And before we wrap up, I quickly want to ask you, what is the most valuable lesson that you've learned over your years and what advice would you give to other young students who are interested in pursuing a similar career as yourself? Honestly, the main lesson that I've learned throughout my entire experience is not to let any financial circumstance or like hindrance to prevent you from achieving what you want. Because if like if there's a will, there's a way. So if you put your mind up to something and you really want to achieve it, you're going to find things coming for you. And um, I believe that one of the other lessons that I've learned was to always have hope for a better future. And I believe that these two main lessons will drive my career path in the future. Well, that's an amazing message. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. Well, thank you, Adam, for taking the time to be with us today. I know it's getting quite late over there in Lebanon right now, so I appreciate you making the effort to join me in this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in to WDIY's Teen Scientist. Check out WDIY.org for more great public radio. I'm Raina Malhotra, and I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.